Hello everyone, we've got another cool show today. We've got Dr. Brandy Bowen here with us. We're going to discuss some things about concussion and some of the things that she wants to work with. Um, so uh, without further ado, if you want to introduce yourself and give us a little background. My name is Dr. Brandy Bowen. I have, um, I work as a clinical psychologist specializing in neuropsychology. Um, I received my doctorate from what's now called Adler University um, in downtown Chicago. I had completed my master's degree at Benedictine University in Lyle. Mm-hmm. To um, obtain a specialization in neuropsychology, you have to do extra training. So I completed my neuropsychology externship at Rush University, and then my internship was specialized in neuropsychology at Elgin State Hospital. And then I did an extra set of, an extra year of the two years for postdoc. Wow. Yeah, a lot of experience. Um, what kind of got you interested in neuropsychology or the field of neuropsychology? Uh, originally, as an undergrad, I had hoped to be a pediatrician, and then um, I took a couple of beginning psych classes, and I really enjoyed the developmental stages um, for like children and adolescents. And one of my professors um, kind of introduced me to neuropsych, and I thought it was a really nice balance between the biology and medical side of things as well as like the psychology and developmental side of things. So I just ended up focusing my studies there. Are there um, specialties within neuropsych? So if you're looking for a professional and it says neuropsychologist, are you assuming it's the same or are there different types or different levels? Usually what, what happens, at least in my experience, has been is they're, they're typically either people who specialize in treating adults or people who specialize in treating children and adolescents. And there are some people who specialize in both. Um, And then sometimes just depending on how people obtain employment, they might become a little bit more further specialized, like in dementia associated with like a a movement disorder. So perhaps like a Parkinson's or um, like Lewy body um, but typically, at least what I've seen is it's a little bit more broken apart by, like, ages. Okay, yeah, cool. That makes sense. Uh, at your office, what type of patients do you typically work with, or what is your specialty? I specialize in, in both treating um, children and adolescents. I did extra, an extra, another extra year of training to do um, evaluations for children and adolescents, so I pretty much see the gamut of things. Usually with kids and adolescents, we don't typically get a lot of um, brain injuries. I'm more often for for later adolescents, early young adults, um, we'll see more brain injuries. Not typically for kids under the ages of ten. Usually the evaluations for for kids involve like, is there a learning disorder? Do they have ADHD? Um, is there an autism spectrum? disorder going on and then as they start to get older usually around driving age that's when we will see more evaluations for concussions or brain injuries 
And then I also see adults for neuropsychology evaluations, whether it might be an evaluation for surgery, if there was an anoxic injury, sometimes they've had exposure to like an environmental chemical, dementia, and then concussion or mild traumatic brain injury. So when you see these patients, have they already been diagnosed with, let's say, ADHD or anxiety, or is your testing coming up with that diagnosis? A little bit of both. Sometimes we will get referrals from um, like the pediatrician or the schools that they think something's going on, but they're not really sure what's going on. Um, and they want the testing for the more definitive diagnosis. Sometimes people will come in with their, with their kids for an evaluation, like an intake evaluation. And based on the background information that we're getting, whether it's myself or one of the psychiatrists, we'll say, we'll kind of suggest to them maybe we should do some testing just to make sure that the diagnosis we're thinking of is the right diagnosis because we don't want to treat something that's not necessarily there. Just out of curiosity, do you look at some some vision processing or vision or binocular vision disorders in your testing? I'm sure there's some perceptual tests that you look at, but uh, how involved is, is the vision aspect? The vision aspect is is actually interestingly enough, um, one that is not as fully evaluated in neuropsychology as it probably would be in, in like an office with um, more like equipment for vision. We do look at um, sensory processing and visual perception, um, whether or not there's any type of neglect, and we'll do that through some visual tests. Um, but in terms of actually <clears throat> being able to fully diagnose where the injury has occurred, is it the parietal lobe, is it the occipital lobe, is it the streams, we have some basic tests that do that. But in those situations, we have to work pretty heavily with um, medical professionals. Mm -hmm. um, kind of getting back to the topic of post-concussion or mild traumatic brain injury, uh, what symptoms do you see from a patient who suffered a post-concussive incident? What are some of the most common things that they, they suffer from when they come and see you? Usually by the time we've seen someone, the concussion is about three months post. So we've, because um, typically most people, they, they'll show improvement within the first couple of days, maybe the first couple of weeks. And then usually by the third month, most of their symptoms have kind of gone away. Um, but if they come to see us, usually by that time, their, their primary care doctor um, has referred them to a neurologist or who, and then the neurologist refers them to us or the primary doctor has referred them straight to us. The typical symptoms that we see are fatigue, um, like lack of energy, some irritability, some depression, some anxiety, um, difficulties with concentrating, difficulties with memory. And then in certain situations, they'll continue to be having like headaches, dizziness, difficulties with vision. Oftentimes we'll have um, complaints of like blurred vision or difficulties with tracking. 
Are you seeing a lot more patients with concussions? I mean, a lot of it's just probably the awareness that people are seeking treatment, but have you seen the amount of patients with concussions increase in your practice? We have. Interestingly enough, I actually thought with all the attention that's come to concussions, especially with like professional football players and such, we would see more children coming in and and adolescents because of sports-related injuries. Mm -hmm. And it actually has not been that way. It's been much more related to motor vehicle accidents in adults Mm -hmm. or slipping and falling. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't think that would be the case. You would think that it would definitely be sports-related. And and if there's any type of question... After a Friday night football game, that yeah, you would see more people on on Saturday or, or Monday morning. Yeah, I, I that's what we would have thought, and the I think a lot of times too, the part although we're increasing awareness as a society, I think there's still that um, concern in the kids. Well, I still want to play, so mm-hmm. I don't want to necessarily report how I'm feeling until I know that it's really affecting me. And and when those situations happen, usually what they'll come in for is because the difficulties concentrating in memory and with memory have affected their grades. And that's when they'll come in because they essentially can't hide it anymore. Mm -hmm. So how long would the testing take if someone came in, um, let's say after they've had a concussion, how long would the typical evaluation take? What would it involve? The typical evaluation takes anywhere from three to six hours. Um, the first thing that we do is we do a brief test to kind of check and see, and this is more specific to people who are older, but we'll, we'll do a brief test to check and see what their premorbid cognitive functioning was, so what the level of functioning was at the height of their brain abilities. Um, then we'll do a basic IQ test that looks at how well they do in terms of verbal comprehension and then how well they do in terms of perceptual reasoning. And then we start kind of adding in tests to kind of try to pinpoint and see, okay, is there one area of the brain that's not working as well as others? So we'll add in what what I call basic, a basic brain functioning test, which is kind of like an R-bands, and it's a brief assessment of how well each brain lobe is doing as well as communicating as a whole and then we start to kind of break things down we'll we'll test the frontal lobe and see how executive functioning is working we'll test the parietal lobes and see how visual spatial skills are working motor coordination which is a little bit of that in the frontal lobe Um, we'll test for memory and we break memory down into short-term and long-term memory, both for auditory and visual information, and then we break it down even further to kind of look and see, okay, how well do they do when the information is presented to them in an organized format that's already structured, as well as how well do they do when they have to organize it and structure it. Um, We'll also look at depression and anxiety, and then um, we kind of add and subtract tests from there. That's like you said, very thorough, especially for, for three to six hours. And is that usually administered in, in one sitting or is it broken up over a, a couple of days? I prefer to administer it all in one sitting because I try to, whether it's a 
a child or an adolescent or an adult try to replicate what their day would be like. So whether in school or whether at the work environment, because people tend to be able to hold their attention and their concentration much better if they know it's only going to be an hour. But as the mental fatigue starts to kick in, especially with something like post-concussion syndrome or a mild traumatic brain injury, the longer we go, the more I can see the fatigue that they're experiencing. If they have to come back, we're more than welcome to have them come back. We'll, we'll work with their schedule. But if we can try to make it all at once so we can kind of see those behavioral observations, we try to do that. I kind of want to stress them a little bit just to see how on a normal day they accommodate or how they compensate. Um, Correct. Get a better idea than when they're really consciously thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Even more so, some of these patients can do the task, but if it has to be quick and efficient or sustained over long periods of time, that can sometimes be where the breaking point is, at least what we've seen. Correct. So when, once you get all the, the testing and you um, kind of score it and analyze it, what would be the next step as far as what treatment, or would you be referring them to another professional? So when what we typically do is someone comes in for an hour-long evaluation, and that's when we get all the background information that we need to have. And we, we find out everything, all the way from when they were born to where they are now. And then they come back for the testing, which is anywhere from the three to six hours. And then they come back anywhere from a, a week to two weeks later, and we go over how they did on the, on the report. Right, we'll go over the results. We'll go over why this, if like a score is lower, why we think the score is lower, and then we'll put it all together for them and kind of show them the general picture. And within that report, and depending on the person, it's anywhere from 10 to 30 pages, depending on how many medical records we can get as well. Um, And we'll go over the recommendations. And we have all sorts of recommendations. Sometimes we'll recommend physical therapy, occupational therapy in certain situations, speech therapy. Sometimes we'll recommend cognitive rehab. We might recommend um, ADA accommodations or IEP accommodations. If the injury is more severe and it's affected, Vision and things like that will make referrals for optometrists, ophthalmologists, um, neuro-ophthalmologists to do further testing. Um, usually by that time, they don't need a, a neurologist referral. And then we'll make referrals and um, recommendations for the family for how to cope with things. So it's very individualized then, just based on the treatment and then figuring out the kind of the treatment path from all the testing. Yeah. Some stuff's pretty general, like support groups for families, um, and then other things are, are more specific to the person, depending on where their deficits are. And sometimes we'll even make recommendations for like a psychiatrist, just to kind of help with the emotional ability that they're experiencing. I know you mentioned earlier, people who suffer from a concussion or mild traumatic brain injury usually get better within a day or, or a couple days. Um, but the people, the small percentage who don't recover, how long does it usually take for them to feel full recovery? Or are there patients that sometimes maybe don't ever get to 100% where they what's were? That's actually kind of a, a complicated question. It's going to be a little bit longer of an answer. So okay. if, if it's someone who this is um, their first concussion or they're, they're more highly educated 
um, they're more active during the day, usually you'll see those people bounce back pretty quickly. Um, it also depends, too, on how much kind of jarring that coup contra coup injury, how much jarring they had, how much whiplash or something like that they've had. Um, where you start to see that the recovery process is a little bit more complicated is if they had comorbid psychological or medical issues, if they've had more than one concussion, if there's a history of substance abuse. Um, so your typical risk factors. Um, complications can occur usually um, in a bimodal fashion, so recovery typically is longer for kids and then for the elderly. Yeah, that makes sense totally. Would you recommend that everyone who's had a concussion, do they need to have a neuropsych eval or if it's only if they continue to have symptoms? Or what do you typically recommend? If they've sought medical treatment um, through like a primary care or ER doctor, they will do a brief evaluation usually, um, somewhat, something like, like mental status exam. Typically, that's enough. Um, if the symptoms persist for longer than three months and it does not look like they're really getting any better, then I suggest to people that at that point you should probably have a more thorough evaluation. Are there any common misconceptions about concussion? You know, for instance, some people maybe feel that you have to black out for a certain amount of time before it's diagnosed as a concussion or, you know, or lose consciousness. Um, or it can only be caused by a, you know, a hit to the head or you know, any other common misconceptions such as those? Yeah, there's actually a lot of misconceptions, um, not just with like it shouldn't be a concussion, but also the recovery process. Concussions can happen fairly easily, and a lot of times when people just kind of have a headache afterwards or they kind of have for 24 hours... Um, just some general tiredness that it's going to wear off and it's just they bumped their head pretty bad. And then in those cases, they should probably seek medical treatment because those are a little bit more unusual symptoms. Um, the, the, and, and you're absolutely right. There is that misconception that you have to have blacked out or or um, not be able to remember the event. And while those things are important to know, they are not sole signs of whether or not a concussion has happened. Um, and then sometimes once people kind of have that head injury, there's <clears throat> that misconception that they're kind of either, I've heard people say that they're faking it or they're exaggerating or they're trying to get out of things. And I, I think that there is um, confusion about sometimes how long that tiredness and, and that fatigue and that um, very easily being overstimulated by sensory information that people don't always understand that as well as we'd like them to. Yeah, I can completely agree. Some of the things that we have seen is it's almost like the, the filter that normally filters out the majority of the sensory information gets removed. And mm -hmm. the mind is basically um, overtaken uh, with all the information. And it's it, it's very fatiguing, very tiring. Or tiring and, and uh, yeah, it can just be too much. Absolutely. And if they continue to experience visual problems, that is usually a huge sign that it was more than just a little bump on the head.
Mm-hmm. I know we've heard patients too that say some professionals maybe have said, oh, it'll just go away or you're just going to have to live with this. Would you say if people don't seek treatment and they're having symptoms, let's say a week or a month out, will it just go away or do they need outside you know, help from other professionals? If they're still experiencing symptoms to the same degree and it really does not look like it's getting any better, they definitely need to seek seek outside help. Usually we'll see that most most people, their symptoms go away within three to seven days. Some people don't last up to a month, but you'll see that gradual decrease in the severity and the frequency of them. Mm-hmm. If that's not occurring, then they, they definitely need to, to seek medical treatment. I guess kind of another point. So when when somebody or even a parent or themselves feel like they've suffered a concussion, where would you recommend going for resources? I know the the first thing most people do, and I'm totally guilty of that, is Googling whatever you want to find. And usually you can get a wide smattering of information, you know, most of it not necessarily credible uh, and a lot of varying opinions. But where would you say maybe, you know, a, a couple of good resources that have solid credibility and good information would be? Um, The CDC has a wonderful um, brochure on concussions. The Brain Injury Association has a pretty good um, set of information for people to look at, and so does the um, American Academy of Neurology. If they're Googling um, on the Internet to find those things, most of the time what we typically suggest to people is try to pick, and this isn't always the case, but try to pick websites that have .org. They're usually a little bit more credible. Um, But if they're starting to read through things and they're kind of becoming very nervous, because that's what happens when we start to Google sometimes, Mm -hmm. then just just exit out and probably just call your your physician. Mm -hmm. Would that be the first step then? Would be primary care physician, or would you start... Would you recommend starting with someone else? Most most of the insurance companies require people to start with a primary care physician. Um, and if it's within the first month, I would suggest to people to start with their primary care physician. If they've already sought treatment at the ER, the ER is probably going to tell them anyways to follow up with the primary care physician. Sure. Um, and then from there, their PCP will be able to make referrals for whomever they, they think is appropriate. Awesome. Yeah, that's such good information. And then one other quick thing, I guess, is there any um, like reading material or any books that you found you know, very helpful or inspiring or, uh, or useful to not only patients but potentially um, professionals? For professionals, the two um, books that I usually suggest are the American Academy of Clinical Neuropsychology has a book that is just on mild traumatic brain injury and post-concussion syndrome. It's also good for parents, too. Um, It's just a little heavy with statistical data, so sometimes it can be a little boring to read. Um, I also suggest for some professionals, if if they would like, there's a a book by Springer. It's called The Little Black Book of Neuropsychology, and that that encompasses everything, um, not just concussions, it will encompass neurocognitive disorders. So it's a good um, resource book. And awesome. then yeah, I'll have to check those out. 
the um the mild traumatic brain injury it's by McCrea. it's he's it's a very good book and i believe in the last year the american academy of clinical neuropsychology also came out with a book that's for sports related concussions and they tried not to group them together um usually for when it comes to um resources for parents the typical brochures are, are usually, um, especially from the CDC, are usually pretty good for for a general overview of of information. Um, they have one on concussions. They also have one um, specific to brain injuries, specific to concussions in high school sports, um, in seniors, and in, in youth sports as well. From there, what we usually do is, uh, if they've been referred for testing, we'll make suggestions for reading based on where the deficits are. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely, like you said, public awareness with whether it's professional sports. So there's the awareness out there, but it's good to have references that we can you know, tell parents to go to or as professionals um, that are more credible. Um, so that's, that's great to know. Yeah, we greatly appreciate your time, uh, Dr. Brandy. And like I said, I've definitely learned a lot. And the purpose of this is for us to get together with other professionals such as yourself and give parents and and other professionals a way just to kind of hear thoughts of of experts in the field. So we we very much appreciate your time. And um, uh, this has been a a great another podcast episode. And and we look forward to all the listeners and uh, and the feedback from, from what we talked about today. No, thank you guys very much for the invitation. I I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, same here. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank Thank you. you.